you can be seated. If you have kids, they're probably running outside already, but they're dismissed to our children's ministry, which is out that door and to the left. Uh, and if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 21 is where we're going to be this morning. It is um, about six weeks from Easter. Uh, it's the time of the year where the church around the world celebrates the resurrection of Jesus. So we are leading up to what is the, the, the focal point of the Christian faith. This idea that Jesus came, died, and rose again. And we can have life because of that. So we are going to be talking about things that are leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about the last week of Jesus' life. So there are all these different stories in the Gospels, uh, the four books of the Bible that, that talk about Jesus when he was here on earth. And most, a good percentage of the passages in the Gospels are dedicated to this last week of his life. And so we're going to talk a lot about the things that happened to him and why that's important for us, why that's important to the story overall, but why that's important for our lives today and how that relates to us and our faith. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, but there is something I wanted to kind of let you know about as we lead up to Easter. So we're six weeks from Easter. Easter Sunday is going to be April 21st. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is because that's going to be an important weekend in an important weekend in the life of our church, because we have something uh, every single day that weekend. So we Friday night we'll have a good Friday service in here. That's that's August nineteenth. So we'll have a good August. Did I say August? <laughs> I'm really preparing you guys for five months from now. April nineteenth. It's going to be the day that we have a Good Friday service here. That's a Friday night. It'll be at 6 p.m. And that's a time to remember uh, Jesus' death, his crucifixion. Um, and the 20th, which is the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, um, we traditionally have not done anything, but we have talked to the city of Tupelo, and we are going to help them put on the Easter egg hunt that they do every year at Ballard Park. And so if you've never been, it's, um, it's 20,000 Easter eggs that get sucked up in about 45 seconds. And so we, we've told them we, they need about 25 to 30 total volunteers, which is a good percentage of our church. But, so we need all of you to help in some way or another. Um, and we're going to have a tent set up that's actually... Uh, it's for, it's for our church, so we'll have cards and different things to give away to kind of tell people a little bit about our church. And the reason why we wanted to do that is because there are a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds who come to that Easter egg hunt. A lot of people with families, a lot of people who speak different languages. We believe that'll be an opportunity for people to hear about our church and connect with our church. So we're going to need a lot of people that morning. That's going to be at 10 a.m. We'll probably need you a little earlier than that. Uh, 10 a.m. on April 20th, Saturday. Um, and then the 21st, we're going to have uh, our Easter service, which we've traditionally done that outside as well. We have done that at Fair Park downtown, and we're still going to do it outside, and we've asked people to bring food, and we do a brunch beforehand. It's a great time. If you've been before, you know what we're talking about. But 
what we're going to do, instead of doing it at Fair Park downtown, we're going to have the service at Ballard in the same spot that we have the Easter egg hunt. So when people come to the Easter egg hunt on Saturday, we'll be able to tell people, uh, hey, our church helped put this on. Come to church. We're going to meet here tomorrow. Bring, bring something to eat, and we'll eat together, and we'll worship together. And so I know that's six weeks away, but we wanted to let you know about that, and we're going to talk more about that over the next six weeks. We're going to ask you to bring candy because we got to get candy in those 20,000 Easter eggs. We, um, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to bring 20,000 pieces of candy. There's other churches that are helping us with that, but we will need your help with that. But we will need, we have a lot of people needs, so we're going to need people to help us uh, hide those Easter eggs, really just dump them out in the field because you can't really hide them. And, uh, but we are going to need your help. So wanted you to know about that entire weekend. We're excited about that. Um, but as we enter Easter, we're talking about these things that Jesus experienced during the last week of his life. And so it's important for us to be familiar with these stories because a lot of times we read these stories and we think they don't have anything to do with us because they happened so long ago. But as we're going to see this morning, and hopefully as we see over the next few weeks, as we talk about these stories, they have real relevance to us now. Um, and maybe now more than ever. <laughs> so let's pray together as we start to talk about these. Uh, God, we long to hear from you. And not just on Sunday morning. We, we want to be in relationship with you as we understand you more. Um, and so, God, uh, I personally am thankful um, that we all come from different backgrounds, and we all come from different um, homes, and we all come from different places, but we're gathered together under your name. There's something very beautiful and powerful about that. Um, and so, God, we pray that um, the stories of your death and resurrection, the stories of the way you lived, that they would unite us in a way that maybe nothing else can. Um, so we pray... Uh, not just for unity, we, we pray for our own hearts and souls and minds um, as we open up this story this morning in Matthew 21. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, about six weeks ago, I went to speak at this youth event in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and I took my two older kids. It was a fun trip, and it was, they had like ski, ski lifts open, so I got to take my kids skiing, and it was a good time. And it was in this hotel, and um, Gatlinburg is kind of this, it's a small town, it's a touristy town, but if you're there and you see a whole bunch of people, you kind of see people everywhere you go, the same people everywhere you go. And uh, if you've ever, if you're familiar with any of these youth events, they, they have these sort of services during the event, and usually they're at morning, uh, in the morning and at night, and it's similar to a church service that you may have been to before. But at the front end, because there's a bunch of teenagers involved, a lot of times they'll do fun things like videos and games and stuff like that. And so uh, the second or third session that they had, I, I'd already speaking once or twice, spoken once or twice, and they did this game where they had three or four teenagers up on stage, and they would show them this picture, and the picture was very blurry, and it would slowly get a little more clear every, you know, three or four seconds. And... So the kids would try to buzz in and guess what the picture was before anybody else could to get a point. And so they had like the Chick-fil-A logo and they had an iPhone and they had like a bicycle and they, they, they did all these kind of things. I'm sitting sort of in the front row with my, my kids. I'm sitting close to the front. 
And there's this picture that comes up, and it's blurry, but immediately I'm like, oh, that's a picture of me. And, and it starts getting clearer because nobody else knows. And um, it, about five or six seconds into it, my kids start going, Daddy, Daddy, that's Daddy. <laughs> and, and then this girl buzzes in, and she goes, uh, speaker guy thing. She doesn't know my name. And they're like, you're, you're right, it is the speaker guy. And so they show the clear picture of me, and they put my name on the bottom. Uh, now, my name is Russ Paulsgrove. And the way they spelled my name, it, I'm trying to pronounce it the way they spelled it, but it was like Rus Postle Grave. <laughs> they, they messed it up bad. And so... It's kind of embarrassing because after that, it becomes a joke, and we're going to restaurants, and teenagers see me, and they're like, hey, it's Roos. <laughs> and I'm skiing with my kids, and people go, hey, it's Roos. And so it becomes this joke, and, and I love doing events like that, and I, there's a reason I do events like that. And there's a part of me that likes being recognized and likes getting the attention, I guess, but the attention that I got is not the attention that I wanted that weekend, if that makes sense. Um, and I think sometimes we have uh, expectations versus reality. And the story we're going to read this morning about Jesus is, is really a story of people's expectations about Jesus and the reality of, of Jesus and how they don't really match up. And how that's not only true for people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but a lot of times that's, that's true for us. We have expectations of Jesus that don't really meet our reality sometimes, and we don't know what to do with that. Um, so Matthew 21, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. It says this. Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem. And they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. And as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If we want to ask what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem... Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds reply, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So this week is Passover week. In this story, Passover in Jesus' day was the largest religious holiday among Jews. Still is. Passover is the celebration of the Jews' freedom from slavery in Egypt. 
And Jerusalem is where the temple is. It's where the main worship center for all Jews is. So if you have any type of means, any type of wealth, you will go to Jerusalem in order to worship during the week of Passover because this is a big deal. Everybody takes an entire week off. They celebrate. They remember. They feast. They, uh, they, it's the biggest holiday of the year. And so Jerusalem is a, a pretty large city at the time, but it's even bigger during Passover because lots of people are there to worship. And Jesus is starting to enter into the town. And all, already, very early on in the story, there is this sort of supernatural element. It, it's not, we wouldn't recognize it, I don't think, as supernatural, but there is something pretty powerful about the fact that Jesus tells the disciples to go get a donkey and a colt, a small donkey, a young donkey, uh, and bring them to him. That you'll go into town, you'll see them tied there, just untie it and walk away. And if somebody asks you, just say, the Lord needs it. And they'll just be totally fine with that. Now, just imagine if somebody's walking out of your house or like with a, a bicycle that you own, or one of your cars, because this is how much value livestock has in a world where agriculture is the main way of living for most people. So, so somebody takes a donkey, somebody takes something valuable from these people, and they say, hey, what are you doing with that? And they're just like, the Lord needs it. And they just happen to be like, okay, sure, take it. Like if somebody came to my house and took something and I said, what are you doing with my stuff? And they said, the Lord needs it. I'd be like, I'm sure he does, but this is mine, so you, you can't have it. Like, let me give it to him. And so they just, they just do it. But that says something about the type of name that Jesus has already made for himself. So we get this picture of this crowd that's excited that Jesus is there. They're waving palm branches. They're laying out their coats for the colt that he's riding in uh, to walk over. They're, they're shouting. They're dancing. They're, they're chanting. We, we get this idea of what it's supposed to look like. And, and most scholars think that the crowd is made up of two separate people. So there, there, are, there are the people who are in Jerusalem already, but Jesus has been traveling around for three years to different towns and things like that. Yeah, I didn't know that was up there behind me until I looked up. So, thanks. So this is the idea of the picture that we get. Um, but the crowd is made up of two different people. So there are people who are with Jesus already because they've traveled around with him. So he's gone to all these different towns and he's healed or he's taught or he's preached and, and people leave their homes to follow Jesus. There are 12 disciples that are Jesus' closest disciples. But the reality is Jesus had a crowd with him everywhere he goes now. And now he's coming into Jerusalem with this crowd. And, and as he comes into Jerusalem, there are more people who see this man with a crowd. And they're starting to worship and pray and all of these kind of things. You can take that down now. So we have this idea of Jesus walking in with this group of people already, and then more people who have heard maybe about Jesus, but 
they have never seen him before, and so this is a big deal for them. And it says that they're chanting and shouting, and, and the translation we read in English in verse 9 says, uh, praise God for the son of David. That's praise God is the term that we see in the translation that I just read. But in the Spanish translation, and in just about every other English translation, there's a word in there, and that word is Hosanna. And Hosanna is not a word that we use in English or even Spanish today. Hosanna is a Hebrew word. And, and people didn't even speak Hebrew at this point. They didn't speak ancient Hebrew. So people are saying this old term, Hosanna, which is a term of praise. It's a, it's a term of worship. It's a term that people would use in songs. But what it literally means is not praise God. What it literally means is save us now. So think about this. Jesus has been traveling around for three years. They're celebrating the time when they were released from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus rides into town, and the people of God are shouting to Jesus. They're saying, save us now. Now that means more than what we might think it mean, means today, because those people weren't in slavery anymore, but they were definitely under oppression because they live in the time of Rome. And Rome would go into different areas of the world and they'd conquer it with military force and they'd say, you are now basically property of Rome. You can worship however you want to, but you, you pay your taxes that we levy on you. You do what we say. You realize that no matter what you worship, Caesar is more important and Rome is more important. And if you don't, then we can put you in prison, we can torture you, we can kill you. And so when Jesus comes into town and they're saying, Hosanna, what they're saying is, save us now. And they don't mean save us now in the way that we sometimes use that in church. They mean save us from the Romans who are telling us what to do all the time, and they're not allowing us to live in line with who God has called us to be. Save us from these outside voices that are oppressing us. But... But Jesus doesn't come in in the way that we would think. Because when Rome marches into an area, they march in as soldiers, and they march in on horses. Horses are animals of war. They are meant to show power and strength and might. And Jesus rides in on a donkey. And Jesus doesn't just ride in on a donkey. He rides in on a colt, like a not fully grown donkey, a small animal. And donkey is not an animal of military might or force or strength. Uh, donkey is a, it's a servant. <laughs> it is, a, is it an animal that is used to bear the burdens of people who can't bear their own burdens anymore. And so Jesus comes in. They're chanting, they're chanting, Lord, save us, but they're expecting him to be like Rome. They're expecting him to be like a conqueror, uh, riding on a horse, but he's, he's in on a donkey. And as they're saying, Lord, save us now, what they're saying is, beat these Romans and make us free again in the way we want to be free. And so they have these expectations of Jesus, but the Jesus that they want isn't the Jesus that they're going to get. Because Jesus has come to free them, and Jesus has come to save them. 
But he hasn't come to free them and save them in the way that overthrows the government. He's come to free them and save them from their own darkness. We want a lot of things to change in our world. And we pray for a lot of things to change in our world. And I think that's good. And I think God can do that. But if we expect God to change our external circumstances without changing anything inside of us, then we are having the wrong expectation of God. Um, Because Jesus came to save us, but he came to save us from our own darkness and our own sin and our own brokenness, our own greed, our own lust, our own desire for power. Jesus came to free us and save us, but not from the things that we might expect. So they're saying, Lord, save us. But here's where that gets tricky, because Jesus has a big, giant crowd around him at this point. And this is a week before he's crucified. And so a week later, you can almost guarantee that some of the people who are shouting, Lord, save us, are going to be shouting, crucify him now. Because he doesn't fulfill their expectations of what they want. So the Jesus they want isn't the Jesus they get. But the Jesus they get is, uh, is actually the Jesus that they need. And this is true for us as well. Is that... And I'm, I'm guilty of this, so I'm not like pointing my finger and saying, you do this and, and I don't. But I'm guilty sometimes of just in my prayer life and in my expectations of God, I expect God to change every single one of my external circumstances. Um, fix my 80-year-old house. Um, make people listen to me more. Um, give me more money. <laughs> um, but not only that, I look at the, like, brokenness in the world around me, systems that hurt people, people that hurt people. And I want God to fix those things too. And while I don't think there's anything wrong wrong with expecting those things or even praying for those things and wanting those things to happen, I think the work, most of the work that God does is in our own lives so that we could be agents for change in the world. So the Jesus that I want isn't always the Jesus that I get. But the Jesus that I get is always the Jesus that I need. And as we enter into this season, Easter, and we're thinking about stories that are old and stories that we don't quite understand, I think there's one thing that's important to remember is that There is a Jesus that we want, and there is a Jesus that we need. And a lot of times we can't get both. Because we don't always want what's good for us. Even when our desires are holy and God-honoring, we don't always want what's good for us. Um, But God did come to save us. And he came to give us a new, fulfilling, wonderful life with him. And he came to cleanse us of the things 
that are destructive and the things that are evil in our own hearts. But that's not always what we want. So, as we enter this season, as we come to this April, (laughs) and start to think about Easter, here's our encouragement to you. Is that you wouldn't pray and expect the, the Jesus that you want, but you wouldn't pray and expect the Jesus that you need. Because that's the Jesus that you're going to get. Um, let's pray together. Uh, God, we, um, we come to you again, and we know that... Um, There's just things inside our hearts that aren't pretty. Um, And so we pray that you would improve our lives. We want that. We pray that you would improve our world, change our world. We want that. But first, we really do want you to change our hearts and lives. And that is a hard thing to ask for. Because it makes us identify places that are not pretty all the time. Um, uh, we, we pray for the Jesus that we're going to get. We pray for the Jesus that we need. We, we pray for you to do something in our lives. Uh, turn our hearts toward you, our vision toward you, so that we can see you more clearly. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. In the days leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection, los días antes de la muerte y resurrección de Jesús, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. Tomó un pedazo de pan y lo partió. He broke it because he said, "This is my body that's going to be broken for you." Él lo partió y lo dijo que este es mi cuerpo partido por ustedes. And uh, he took a cup and he said, "Drink this." Tomó también la copa y dijo, "Tomen de esto." This is my blood that's poured out for you. Esta es mi sangre que es derramada por ti. And um, we do this every week as a reminder of what Christ did for us. Y lo hacemos esto cada semana recordando lo que Cristo hizo por nosotros. Um, so we encourage you, invite you to take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Así que te motivamos y te animamos a que tomes un pedazo de pan y lo sumerjas en la copa. Not to just remember what Christ did for us thousands of years ago. No solo para que recuerdes que es lo que Cristo hizo por nosotros miles de años atrás. But for us to remember what he still does for us today. Sino para que recuerdes lo que él sigue haciendo por nosotros el día de hoy. He saves us. Él nos ha salvado. Um, this invitation is for everyone. Esta invitación es para cada persona. Um, this open table for you. Es una mesa abierta para ti. We would encourage you to, to come forward, to respond. Te invitamos a que tú vengas y respondas. Um, so if our communion service will come forward. Mientras las personas que van a servir la Santa Cena pasan, por favor. And as they get set. Mientras ellos se alistan, we want you to come as you feel led. Te pedimos que pases según sientas hacerlo.
you 